0: 1208 Jeff Wagner WTMJ so glad to have you with us coming up in about 15 minutes I'm going to squeeze in this story it's Clark Howard calls a customer no service as somebody who's in the process of, uh, of of moving and changing addresses most places make it really really easy to do that and then there is one local business I'll tell you that story I think I am still on hold as we speak all right we start off today's program like we start off every program Three big things. Story number one, and uh, this was the talk of all the talking head shows. Does President Trump have anything to can be concerned about regarding the Russia investigation? Now, I understand, as I say frequently, there is no middle ground when it comes to President Trump. People love him. People hate him. The people that hate him want him out of office. The people who love him think all this stuff and these investigations are witch hunts. Um, the people who hate him seized on the fact That you had, again, his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who ended up um, entering a guilty plea to an information late last week. An information, and, and, and the way the federal court's work is... Um, Before you can be brought to trial, you have to be charged by a grand jury. Grand juries uh, issue indictments. Every once in a while, you'll hear the term information. And information is what you use if you've cut a plea deal and you say, okay, look, I'm going to waive my right to have the matter presented to a grand jury. I'm just going to you know, accept whatever the charges are. So um, Michael Flynn pled guilty to an information, waiving his right to have the matter presented to the grand jury, and he pled guilty to a charge of lying to the FBI. The lie to the FBI involved conversations he had a few weeks before Donald Trump became president. But after Donald Trump was the president, he'd been elected president. So he's the president-elect. So you've got this transition period. Michael Flynn is going to be the national security advisor. Um, Just to kind of review the bidding, what happened is in late December, less than a month before he was leaving office, Barack Obama issued a series of sanctions against Russia. President Trump, at the time President-elect Trump, said he did not agree with these sanctions. He said, no, I I just don't think this is appropriate. But Barack Obama went ahead and did it anyways. He had the right to do it. He was still the president for a couple weeks. But at the same time, these sanctions imposed by executive order were something that could be rolled back by President Trump. What happened was, presumably at the direction of either the president-elect, because, again, he's been elected president, or somebody close to the president-elect, the to be national security advisor, meets with the Russian ambassador, and they have conversations, and he essentially tells him, look, don't retaliate against us, don't do anything rash in the next couple weeks, because President Trump is going to be taking over in mid-January, he's going to take a whole nother look at these things, so this is... Essentially what they're saying is what Barack Obama is doing right now is more just for for show, just don't react, okay, because we're going to take another look at this. That's what what had happened. For reasons that I still haven't figured out, when the FBI interviews Michael Flynn about these meetings, he denies having these conversations. Um. And that is what led to the charges. He did have these conversations. I think that some of them might have been caught on wiretaps or whatever. So he had these conversations. He – the underlying conversation, I don't believe, is a crime. I don't believe there is anything illegal at all with a member of the Trump transition team, somebody who is – and this is after the election – somebody who is going to be, in this case, occupying a a role as a national security advisor, I don't think there is anything wrong at all with that person saying, hey, you know, look, we're going to be taking another look at this. Don't overreact to these things. Um, President Trump's going to be taking over in a couple of weeks. I don't think there's anything wrong with that conversation. What he did, though, is he denied having the conversation for reasons that continue to pass understanding. And that's what they got him for. They got him for lying to the FBI, even though I don't believe the underlying conversation would, in fact, be criminal. And that's the best way that I can explain this this thing. I think it is not uncommon for representatives of the president, uh, any president elect's transition team, to meet with foreign leaders and to talk about, you know, where they anticipate the relationships going. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I know there's this thing called the Logan Act that goes back to 1798 that the Supreme Court has said in dicta, which means just in other sort of language, is unconstitutional. Um, There's never been a conviction under the Logan Act in all the years it's been on the books, which is over 200 years. I don't think that there's anything that Michael Flynn did that was wrong. As a matter of fact, I would expect that members of a president-elect's transition team would be meeting with representatives and leaders from other governments so you can hit the ground running. Needless to say, though, and nevertheless, Flynn lies about it, that was, that's what leads to the charges. This does not involve a conversation that Flynn had with Russian representatives before the election, which is a key. And I understand that there's some people out there who think, oh, maybe this is gonna show collusion that the Trump campaign was working with the Russian government in September, trying to encourage them to do hacking, which I concede would be a different problem. But this strikes me as being completely and totally different. 414 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Lots of heavy breathing over the weekend on the talking head shows about what this means. My general reaction is, while it's always embarrassing to have somebody close to an elected official, any elected official, much less the President of the United States, um, pleading guilty to something in federal court and theoretically agreeing to cooperate, this particular act and what the lie was about and what the contact was – does nothing to indicate to me that there was any sort of conspiracy on the part of Donald Trump or anybody in the Trump campaign to collude with the Russians to try to influence the election. I just see this in general and a lot of the heavy breathing as being, from the perspective of affecting the, pre- of affecting the president, a complete nothing burger. 414 is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Is this going to be the beginning of the end of the Trump administration or... Is, at the end of the day, this just some sort of distraction? Again, the bright, shiny object that people in the press and some of the Trump haters look at. Um, I just lean towards bright, shiny object. Look, it's a squirrel. 414-799-1620. Will this be the start of the end of the Trump administration? I think not. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1216 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. <laughs> 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, I, I just, from the perspective of the Trump administration, it, it, it's never, ever good to have one of your appoint, appointees pleading guilty to a federal crime. It's never a good thing. But as far as does this guilty plea and does the fact that Michael Flynn apparently had conversations while he was ramping up after Donald Trump was elected, while he was ramping up to be the national security adviser, meeting with. Russian diplomats, and essentially saying, hey, don't overreact on these sanctions. president has a different perspective on this. That, I, that to me, is clearly not a crime. Um, it's also not any different than what President Trump was saying at the time, President-elect Trump at the time, where he was saying, I, I don't want the, oh, the president to do this, don't want President Obama to do this. Let's talk to Jerry in South Milwaukee. Jerry, good afternoon.
1: Hey, uh, Jeff. I think basically this is about... Sanctions. I don't think the Trump administration and Michael Flynn maybe necessarily wanted information getting out at the time how much this, this discussions were. But Russia's really involvement and in trying to affect us is because they want end sanctions, specifically oil sanctions, and that that's any type of connection between maybe the Trump administration or or, or Russia is about that. And I don't think they wanted knowledge about that. I don't think Trump wanted knowledge about that in Michael Flynn. So I think that's why. You may be lied to
0: the FBI, right? Um, could be, you know. Right, right. Could be. be um, I no. Thanks to call. That, that 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 could be one of the motives. And I guess I don't. I I don't know. You know. Maybe maybe it does have to do with that. That that's an interesting thing. I again, it's. To, to me, if I'm Michael Flynn, I just don't cooperate with this. It's, it's, so, it's so interesting to me. You see this happen all the time. Um, they end up getting these people for making false statements, even if the underlying false statements don't implicate them in, in a crime. It's just like, don't answer the questions if, if you think you're going to do this, but don't lie. That's free legal advice from a recovering lawyer. If you're meeting with authorities, don't. Don't lie. (laughs) Because, again, I I just don't think, I mean, I understand. Since last summer, Democrats have been talking about this thing called the Logan Act, which goes back to 1798. It has never, there has never been a Logan Act prosecution, much less a conviction. And, yes, I said 1798. Um, Most legal scholars consider it to be unconstitutional. It says that a private citizen can't conduct foreign policy. Well, the, the the first problem with this is that Michael Flynn is not a private citizen at the time that he's conducting, at least as the law is interpreted. He's a member of the Trump transition team. Uh, I have a text here from Mitch who just kind of hits it on, on the head. It's completely legit for transition teams to meet with foreign diplomats, whether about sanctions or allegiance or, you know, versus ISIS or, or whatever. Sure, that that's what happens. I think it is ridiculous ridiculous to believe that somebody's elected the president of the united states you're putting together okay this is who my secretary of state nominee is going to be this is who my national security advisor is going to be here we're not going to have them have conversations at all with members of you know foreign governments so we can hit the ground running now that's absolutely that's absolutely ridiculous i think let's talk to brady in milwaukee brady you're on wtmj good afternoon
1: hi how are you doing today?
0: good what do you think
1: well, as you said, as you alluded to earlier, I think I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I think these charges, a lot of this has been known. This is why he got removed from office back in right. January, February. And but at the same time, like, why are these the charges? You know, like, what plea deal did he reach that that implicated somebody else? Because as you said, an information an information. That normally is going to be involved in a plea deal. What yeah. information did he provide that they decided to give him a plea deal?
0: Well, I mean, based on I mean, thanks. For, I'll tell you, I mean, based on first of all, based on his statements, I, I don't know both both his public statements and his private statements. I don't know that there's any basis for assuming that there's more criminal behavior than, than this. Sometimes. Uh, it, all there is to see is all there is to see. I understand some people are thinking, okay, well, maybe this means that Michael Flynn has been, you know, guilty of colluding with the Russians for months and months and years and years or, or whatever. I don't think so. I mean, a lot of times it's, all right, this is what we think you did. Yes, this is what I did. We want you to cooperate. We want you to tell you about, you know, this. And and he says, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you about it. I'll, I'll testify. I will cooperate but again, I this assumption that this is some sort of smoking gun that's out there. And I mean, candidly, I don't think if I, I, Jared Kushner or Donald Trump, I think any of these people without fear of criminal behavior could have said, hey, I think there's I don't think there would have been anything wrong with Donald Trump saying, hey, you know, Mike, um, you know, I, I've I've already publicly said that I don't want Obama to have sanctions. Uh, he's going to issue these things anyways. I want to hit the ground running. I want a better relationship with Russia than we've had. You know, j- just have have a meeting and try to soothe the troubled waters because I want it to be in the best position possible that it can be, you know, a few weeks from now. I don't believe that that is a crime. Now, I understand some people are thinking, well, maybe he's got to have all this other information. Here's the other reality. From a a sentencing perspective, the federal government uses these things called sentencing guidelines. You look at offense severity, you look at criminal record and things like that. And maybe, you know, maybe they could have charged him with three or four counts of essentially crimes related to the same general incident. But that's not going to get you any more time. In this case, I think what happened is that I I think they kind of wore down Michael Flynn. He said he spent a ton of money trying to defend himself from this stuff. He, I think, is clearly guilty of lying to the FBI. The why remains, again, the the huge question. Was he trying to cover up? Did he panic? You know, why why did you do it? And, again, maybe our first caller was right. They just didn't want people getting into sanctions. Could very well be. And, And, look, and maybe I'm misreading this. Okay, Maybe I'm misreading this. Maybe there is some huge smoking gun that's out there. But based on the things that Flynn has said publicly in the past and given the limited nature of this charge, I think anybody who thinks that this is some... Dramatic sort of thing, which is going to reach into the, the highest levels of, of the White House. I, I think they're going to be sadly, sadly mistaken. I think this was an error in judgment on Flynn's part. He needs, in fact, to be held accountable. You should never, ever lie to the FBI. And it is, let's face it, and it it's embarrassing for the president. But having said all that, is this going to be the the smoking gun? Is this going to be the you know the White House tapes? I don't think so. It is 1225. Coming back, big story number two. He might be a jerk, but should he be out on his ear? Stick around. It's 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so here, here's my story. Eric Boltz. said, you'll appreciate this. All right, my here's the, the deal right now. I, My my house in the North Shore, we are in the process of, of getting it ready to sell, which means... Got guy working at there on an almost daily basis, i mm-hmm. you know, painting it, rehabbing and stuff. Yep. A lot of the stuff is out. Um the stuff that we're I've got, so I've got a house in Ozaki County that we had it painted. Carpeting is going in today. A lot of things have been moved like in boxes into the basement. In the next week or two we've got movers coming and furniture being delivered once the carpet goes in. Not but I'm exciting. not I'm not into the i I'm not into the house in Ozaki County. And so I'm Fran and I are living in, in, in West Bend, so I'm commuting back and forth. What I am doing though is I am in the process of changing my address, you know, on credit cards yep. and newspapers and stuff, changing it from the North Shore house to the Ozaki House. Okay. And I have found it in general to be completely and totally easy. Um uh, the, about a week I get the New York Times delivered. I go on their website. Uh, I, I change this. I said I want it effective, like Friday, Friday. It's there in the news box. It, it's it's in the it's it's great. it's it's working. on on Sunday, I, I spent about a half hour. I swear just on the internet, I must have been able to change my address. On at least a half dozen, maybe more, in the space of a half hour, credit cards and, and other sort of stuff, bank accounts. They make it really, really easy. All right. I am one of the few dinosaurs who still has the Journal Sentinel delivered to my home. So I want to change the Journal Sentinel. I want to get it, stop it from coming to the North Shore House, have it go to the Ozaki County House. Well, first of all, this is the only website that I have found that you cannot do that online. And if, if you can, I haven't figured out, but I don't think you can. You can't change your address online. You have to call this number. I call the number. God as my witness. God is my witness. First of all, you get one of those annoying computer things where you, you have it takes you five minutes to work your way through it to get on hold waiting for a customer representative. God as my witness. I started this process at ten fifteen this morning. Eleven forty two. Nobody had picked up yet, on hold, for over an hour and 25 minutes to simply simply change an address. Now, they did say that if you didn't want to wait on hold, you could, like, leave your number and they might call you back. Good luck with that. I just couldn't believe that it would take an hour and 25 minutes to change an address. But it does. For all I know, I hung up. Because I had to go to the bathroom my guess is I would still be on hold right now because I I don't know if they've got like one poor woman that's working there that's like handling all this stuff I don't know if this is their strategy to stop people from canceling the newspaper because you can't cancel it online either you have to actually get a human see maybe that's the strategy to keep circulation at the journal sentinel you you know to cancel the paper you've got to talk to a human but we make it impossible to talk to a human so therefore you can't cancel it I An hour and however many minutes, still nobody picked it up to change the address. And they wonder why people get frustrated. I'm sorry. I digress. It's 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What does it mean to be Milwaukee made? The third generation of leadership at Palermo's Pizza shares its Milwaukee centered philosophy with the folks at Walkie. It's up now in the intersection of people in place podcast on WTMJ mobile. When you get to the mobile po- page, check out a bunch of the podcasts. Again, you hear some voices that you don't hear on the radio and we podcast all the shows. I know a lot of people download this show for podcast and I appreciate it. All right. Big story number two, Josh Zepnick has been a he represents he's a state representative, represents the South Side, a long serving. He's been there since uh, he won in November of 2002. So he's been around for quite a while. Um, Zepnick is a Hmm. (laughs) colorful guy. Uh, you could say colorful. You, you could say he's sort of a jerk. Um, um, Zepnick has been in the news off and on for a lot of things. He was the guy that uh, looked at all the crime that was going on at gas stations and was talking about introducing a bill which would make it illegal to bring firearms to gas stations. All right. Um, Again, his thinking was, gee, well, we've got all these armed robberies going on in gas stations. I know. Let's pass a law that stops concealed carry holders from being able to bring guns to gas stations. That'll stop people from taking guns into gas stations, forgetting, of course, the fact that, you know, robbing a gas station with a gun is a crime in and of itself. Um, Zepnick was the guy back in 2015. He's a big advocate for, you know, Tom's trolley folly. He was the guy who, um, after Dave Sobelman, Dave Sobelman, who is the local businessman, the owner of, uh, Sobelman's pub and grill. He's got several locations. The original location is the, uh, place, um, you know, downtown on St. Paul, um, well, Dave Sobelman comes out uh, against the trolley. You know, he's a local businessman. Says, "I think this is a waste of do- time and dollars and money, etc." Um, and that Zepnick was the guy who sends out a, a, a tweet talking about or Facebook response um, talking about how well I, I'm looking at it. It's semi it's semi literate. Uh, here's what he puts: Ain't nobody n o b o d a y got time for for that. That was in response to somebody suggesting a boycott. Sobelman really blanked me off on this one. Talk about no civic pride for a place that profits off my city. Good food, but you go there. It's crowded. The staff is snotty, cranky, all the blanking time. Um, Parking sucks, and it's not safe at night. Hope City reconsiders his sidewalk seating permit for this summer. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, this is a state representative who is talking about, gee, he's had, Dave Sobelman had the audacity to criticize the streetcar and you have this idiot who's saying well i hope the city considers taking away his permit to let people eat out in front of his restaurant um uh, good good going josh then you have um later on this was the deal where um you had a number of people who were again at 2015 early 2015 you had people who were Coming to the door trying to get signatures. They're going door to door asking for signatures on a petition to try to stop the streetcar. And apparently, um, two, uh, one of the petitioners went to the door where Zepnik's parents live. And he calls Fox 6. And Fox 6 guppies into this story. A Milwaukee couple says they were unfairly frightened by a canvasser who came to their door hoping to get their signatures in an ongoing petition drive against the proposed downtown Milwaukee streetcar. And they happen to be the parents of state rep Josh Zepnick. Zepnick says he's protecting his parents. It was Thursday evening, January 22nd, around 7 p.m., when Jerry Zepnick heard a knock at her door. Knock, knock, knock. I heard this pounding on my front door. This is the story at Fox 6. I got so scared. I thought somebody was breaking into the house. They knocked on the door at 7 o'clock. Jerry Zebnik and her husband were visited by a petitioner requesting their signatures on a petition against the proposed downtown streetcar. But that didn't matter. They scared me half to death. I said, don't you ever come back to the house banging on the door like that. Josh Zepnick is the representative, it's the sun. He says he's done plenty of canvassing. He says, but what happened isn't the right way to address any issue. Respecting people's privacy is a big issue. It's one that, you know, supersedes how passionate you are on the debate. They knocked on the damn door. <laughs> you know. Oh, this is they were pounding. They knocked on the door. Oh, isn't this an awful sort of thing? And then of course, you know, Fox 6 gets guppied in, and Zepnik's again, looking to try to get on TV. So he's talking about, oh, how this terrible it is. They they knocked on my parents' door at 7 o'clock at night. Oh, the horror of this. Um, he also was arrested for drunk driving in 2015, first offense drunk driving. He's been, a like I say, a difficult prickly sort of personality. I think that would be fair to say. Um, Interesting, and of course, unfortunate background. One of his siblings was killed by a a drunk driver, repeat drunk driver in 1990, which made him getting busted for drunk driving in 2015 all that more unfortunate and kind of compelling. But in any event, the story that breaks over the weekend, the Capitol Times um, citing two unnamed women, two unnamed women, And what these women say is that Zepnik kissed them without their consent at political events in 2011 and 2015. In both cases, the women said Zepnik appeared to be drunk at the time. One of the women worked for the Democratic Party of Wisconsin at the time of the incident. The other was a legislative staffer. Neither woman was named in the report. Um, you kind of go into the details of this and um, I, I get the sense that, OK, the Capital Times reported Zepnick kissed a Democratic Party employee at the party's annual convention in Milwaukee in 2015 after she stepped in to help handle a disagreement between Zepnick and then state rep Mandela Barnes. In addition, a legislative employee said Zepnick in 2011 kissed her without warning at a Senate recall election party. A newspaper interviewed the two women along with coworkers and friends who spoke and said, "Yeah, they co- this they said this at the time, but nobody filed a complaint." So what it sounds like happens is Zeppnik is at these events. It sounds like he's drunk and it sounds like he behaves in this sort of inappropriate fashion. You know, he's in an argument with this other state rep, one of the staffers tries to intervene, and he grabs her and he kisses her. Same thing, true, he's a, sounds like he's drunk at this party in 2011, the recall, a recall party, and does the same thing. It is boorish behavior. It is inappropriate behavior. My guess is maybe there's a couple other people that would have the same sort of stories. For his part, Zepnik says, first of all, he says he doesn't recall kissing the women, presumably because, again, he was, was drunk. Says he's sorry about that. Um, but he has no intention of going anywhere. He's not going to quit. All four seven nine nine is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right, you've got two instances of admittedly boorish, drunken behavior. Nothing at all to be proud of if these stories are true. But, again, we're we're not talking about any sort of aggravated type of sexual assault. Don't get me wrong. Unwanted kissing is unwanted kissing. And if he did this to your wife or your daughter, you would be upset about that. I mean, I don't think there's any question uh, about it. At the same time, um, it's, it's not like this is groping. It's not like this is advanced sexual assault. It's a boorish drunk behaving badly on a couple of occasions. Should Zepnik resign, or is this a matter, again, just left to the voters of his district to consider next time he's up for re-election, if he runs for re-election, um, next November, 414 That's the Academic mortgage talk and text line. I will tell you where I come down on this in less than three minutes, but I'm curious as to where you stand. Is this the type of behavior, admittedly bad behavior, admittedly drunken and boorish behavior, that should essentially cost this man his job, that he should resign over? We discuss next. 414 That's the Academic mortgage talk and text line. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1246. This is Jeff Wagner. 1250 Jeff Wagner WTMJ so very glad to have you with us just in time for the holidays WTMJ.com is giving you a chance to win an authentic NFL game ball autographed by Packers head coach Mike McCarthy just log on to the WTMJ.com contest page listen for the special keyword in the podcast player fill out the entry form and you could be our lucky winner. You can enter daily, but you've got to be 18 to take part. Official rules up at WTMJ.com. All right, so two Democratic staffers, one staffer, one legislative aide, have each come forward and essentially said that they were at events, one in 2011, one in 2015. Uh, State Representative Josh Zebnick is intoxicated. Imagine that. And on both occasions, he, he kisses them. All right. And now there's this talk about what should happen to Zepnick. It is clearly boorish behavior fueled by alcohol um, with a guy who, in my opinion, is kind of a jerk to begin with. But is this the type of thing where he should resign or is this a matter that you let the voters decide on? Jeff and Milton. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hi, Jeff.
1: What do you think? I think he should be gone. And the reason being, if he was working in the private sector, if he was working in the real world, and you had multiple incidences where um, this happened, and especially happened to a subordinate of yours or somebody you were working closely with, there's no question that you would be fired or you would be asked to leave. And so I think he should be gone.
0: What if what if the the first instance had, had never been made public? Like, like I mean, I guess... For example, the two. Let's say the 2011 incident. You know, it, it happens, but there's never a complaint filed. And let, let's assume. Let's assume you're working in the private sector. The 2011 incident happens at an office party, but the the victim never tells anybody, never says anything. So you're never warned. You're never put through the disciplinary process. Does that change the thinking at all?
1: I I think it does. I, I think I think times have changed, and, yeah. and I think that. Um, you know, if there's multiple instances that come up, even if the person doesn't bring it up at the time, there seems to be some hesitation. Uh, now there's no hesitation right. for people to bring claims forward. And so I, I don't think that that makes a difference, at least for me.
0: Got it. Okay, thanks. And see, and the reason I ask is obviously because in, in, in the private sector, I, I don't think – that you have somebody that gets drunk at an office Christmas party. man, can you imagine... Groove's producing the show today. Can you imagine, you know, the office Christmas... To the extent people still have office Christmas parties, my guess is that behavior is... You know, no. I was watching this movie. It's not a very good movie. It came out last year, Office Christmas Party. Um, they come out a couple months ago or whatever. And it's like, okay, this is... Given the era we're in, that that movie is not necessarily a timely sort of thing. Now Now, clearly... I think l- let's take that situation let's apply it to the private sector. You've got somebody at the office Christmas party who's drunk, whoa, 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 you know, and and smooches somebody against their their will. Clearly that person if that person files a complaint the the victim clearly i, I don't know that the guy's going to get fired i think what's more likely going to happen is he's going to be warned um there's going to be something that goes into his personnel jacket telling him not to, not to do it again and if he does it again chances are you know as the progressive discipline goes you're probably going to get fired i guess i look at this and again it, it's boorish behavior there is a difference between the public and the private sector, between elected officials and the public and private sector, in that elected officials don't have bosses. You know, you, um, you know CBS can fire Charlie Rose. NBC can fire Matt Lauer. There's nobody that can fire, um, you know, uh, Al Franken except the voters, And so, you know, they really don't have to worry about that. My guess is this is probably it's probably the the end of. It's probably the end of his career as a practical matter. He had a challenger last time. He was able to survive the Democratic Party uh, primary. My guess is this happens again, and he's probably out. I think the way to handle this, and I think the Democrats are starting to look at this. Maybe they strip him of committee assignments or something like that. Um, I, but I think this is a matter for the voters to decide. And my guess is the judgment of the voters is going to be harsh. It's 1255. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Big story number three is coming up. Speaking about harsh judgment, this is what happens nowadays when you're in the media and you get something really wrong. Stick around. 1258, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. number of people are sending me notes saying that this is, in some respects, similar to what happened to Republican legislator or Bill Kramer. You will remember Kramer was the uh, state rep from the, the town of Waukesha who also admittedly had an alcohol problem. Um, he, it, it, different than Zeppnik. Kramer was charged with with crimes. I mean, he was charged with a couple felonies in connection with um He allegedly shoved a woman into a car, tried to kiss her, touched her indecently, made um, inappropriate comments to her outside Republican Party event in Muskego in 2011. There were other um, acts of allegedly harassing other women, one a legislative aide, the other a lobbyist in D.C. on February 26th. Uh, The legislative aide filed a personnel complaint against Kramer. What happened is the Assembly Republican stripped Kramer of his title as a majority leader. He ended up being convicted. He cut a plea deal, uh, pled guilty to two misdemeanors, but he didn't resign either. I mean, he he didn't run for reelection and he was ultimately replaced. But in the case of Kramer, he was actually charged with with felonies. Um Zepnick has not been charged with a crime, and I my guess is he's not going to be charged with a crime. Um There haven't been personnel charges filed against him, at least as of this point. And these incidents go back to 2011 and 2015. No, I mean, is this boorish behavior? Is it bad behavior? Is it something that anybody should be proud of? Of course not. I think it's a matter for the voters to decide. And like I say, I think the voters' judgment is going to be harsh. Big story number three is coming up, and... Let's name some names of the Grinches in St. Francis. Stick around. 1259. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner. Big story number three. Ryan Ross, a longtime reporter for ABC News and before that for NBC News. Um, He has been in some circles dubbed the, quote, wrongest reporter in America. Um, He's got... Now, the the thing is, if you're around long enough, you are going to make mistakes. And that's just... It's just inevitable. It it happens to the best of everyone. Um, But Ross, he tends to make a lot more... Or at least more mistakes, I think, than many people. And he he tends to make really, really big ones. Um, For example... 2012, after the shooting in the Colorado movie theater, you might recall that, um, he, he went on the air and the, the shooter was a guy named James Holmes. Ross goes on the air and suggests that the shooter had ties to the Tea Party movement. Well, there's a Jim Holmes of Aurora, Colorado page on the Colorado Tea Party site as well, talking about him joining the Tea Party last year. He reported on Good Morning America. Now, we don't know if this is the same Jim Holmes, but this is Jim Holmes of Aurora, Colorado. Well, it it wasn't the same Jim Holmes. I mean, it's like saying, okay, there's 50 Jeff Wagners in the Milwaukee phone book and one does something really stupid, and so we're going to say, oh, that could be, you know, that could be the Jeff Wagner on WTMJ or whatever. It's, it's that kind of stuff. Um, he, he's gotten a lot of stuff wrong over the years. All you have to do – he reported, for example, in 2006 that uh, then-House Speaker Dennis Hastert was the target of a federal corruption probe involving a former lobbyist. Um, that ended up being wrong. Anyways, I could go through the list, but he, he, he had a humdinger on Friday – which sent the stock market plunging. If you will recall on Friday, there was a point where the stock market was down more than 300 points, and it was because people in the market were afraid that there might be an impeachment coming of President Trump, Um, and it was based on a Brian Ross report. What happened is, during a live special report on Friday morning, now keep in mind, Friday is when the news story is breaking about General Michael Flynn pleading guilty to the one-count information. Um, Ross goes on live TV in a special report and reports that Flynn would testify that Donald Trump had ordered him to make contact with Russians about foreign policy while Trump was still a candidate. Now Trump has said no, I, I never I never did that. And as we talked about in the last hour of the program, there is a big there's a big difference once the president is elected president, he becomes the president-elect. I don't think there's anything I understand that you've got this Logan Act out there that most people think is unconstitutional. that's been around since 1798, and, and nobody's ever been charged with with this, but once you become the president' elect. I don't think and I don't think anybody except like the, the real conspiracy theorists think there's anything wrong with the president at a president elect while he's in that transition period, reaching out and, and meeting with or talking to foreign dignitaries because he's going to be the president in a couple months. Now, if President Trump had, in fact, during the during the campaign, been reaching out or having his subordinates or his workers reach out and make contact with the Russians that certainly adds fuel to the fire of the people who think that maybe there's some evidence that there was collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. Okay, So that the timing is really, really important. So Brian Ross goes on live TV and says that Flynn has cut a deal and he's going to testify that Donald Trump had ordered him to make contact with Russians about foreign policy while Trump was still a candidate that's a big big deal. Stock market starts to plunge because now okay, what's going to be going on? Well, later in the day, ABC News, which of course is which of course is part of the reliably liberal Disney ABC Television Network, had to issue what they are calling a clarification to Ross's report. Huh? Now, clarification is what they say in the mainstream media when they got it really, really wrong. (laughs) Um, The clarification says that Trump's directive came after he had been elected president. So, in other words, after he was the president-elect, while he's putting together his transition team, while he's getting ready to take over, um, everybody agrees that that is a huge distinction in advan- you know in a discussion of the Russian campaign leaks because again if he is a candidate he's theoretically reaching out and having contact with Russia and that raises all sorts of specters you know was there a quid pro quo after he is president elect i think it's no big deal well Brian ross's report suggested that it was beforehand which would have in fact been a big deal so now abc has suspended him for four weeks without pay, um, in connection with this report. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accendant Mortgage Talk and Text line. I think just like there is a new era account of accountability for bad behavior when it comes to you know um, dealing with members of the opposite sex in the workplace. I do think that there is now a new new standard for when reporters get it wrong i think this is a response to all the trump fake news sort of stuff and it's why more than ever um, i think news organizations have to concentrate on being right instead of being first for the longest time now everybody wants to be right But for the longest time, there's been all this pressure about wanting to be first. We were, you know, blank, blank, blank news was the first to break the story of this, that, or the other thing. So there was this incredible speed to try to get the story out. And a lot of times, the stories would be wrong, sometimes in whole, sometimes in part. Uh, But you got the story out there first. I think what's happening now is these networks are starting to learn the hard way that first is fine. But if it's not going to be right, there are going to be consequences. All right, did ABC do the right thing in suspending Brian Ross for four weeks? My answer would be yes. At the same time, though, Brian Ross, did not he's not the one that necessarily, I don't think, made the decision to go on live with the story. There are other people in the chain who presumably looked at it, signed off at it, on it, okayed it, and... If it's just Brian Ross, he becomes the fall guy. I'm not sympathetic to Brian Ross. But, I mean, yeah, I I think the network did the right thing by suspending him, and I think they should be suspending other people as well who were responsible for this bad, wrong story because it was, in fact, a big deal. I think ABC did the right thing in suspending him. Anybody else that touched the story should probably have the same thing happen to him. 414-799-1620. If the media is going to... If the media wants to fight back against the fake news image and things like that, the easiest way to do it is, number one, to get stories right. And when they don't get stories right because they want to get them first, there has to be consequences. I think they were right to do this. 414-799-1620. It's 116. We'll discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 119. Jeff Ratner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, Brian Ross takes a hit. Over a serious error in a report. And you know what? I think it is completely and totally deserved. And I think this is what has to happen moving forward. I understand that there are are people in the mainstream media, whether it's reporters for news outlets, whether it's print or electronic who feel that gee they're unjustly being singled out by the Trump campaign, and that you know President Trump, for example, is doing things to whip up you know antagonism towards them, and and, and I, I understand that some of people people think that that is unfair. The problem with that is that if you want to fight back to the idea that hey you know we're we're above this, we are unbiased. Well, what you have to do is you have to make sure that the stories that you end up putting out meet scrutiny and when you have explosive stories and this story on Friday was incredibly explosive the minute this story broke the stock market went into the tank big time because the Brian Ross story which was then picked up and carried on all these other outlets implied that gee, President Trump may in fact have been directing people to meet with russians before he was elected president that then fuels okay was his has he been making false statements all along Um, well as it turns out as we talked about at the beginning of the program really nothing to see here what you're talking about is meetings after you became the president of the united after you were elected after you became president-elect big big difference and the ross report Um, just got it wrong in a big way. Yeah, this is the new standard. And I think the bottom line now is for people who are going to practice journalism, this is a shot across the bow. It tells you that if you're going to get these stories, you have to get them right or else there's going to be a degree of accountability. And I think that's more than appropriate. Coming up next. All right. The St. Francis Grinches are trying to steal Christmas. Stick around. It's 122. 24. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. The Grinch is alive and well in St. Francis. The Journal Sentinel is reporting the story. Here's the deal: the Saint Francis Library has decided they are not going to have Christmas decorations this year. Um, they are also dropping their annual Christmas slash holiday party. You can't make this stuff up. They are dropping their Christmas slash holiday party in favor of a luau event to be held on January 27th. Okay, so we're going to have a luau in January, but we're not going to have our Christmas or our holiday party. Yes, my producer, Gru, says festive. Yes, how festive that is. We're going to have the luau party. Okay, well, it it gets better. Um, What they've decided to do is they've decided to move to what they call seasonal decorations, which means no Christmas decorations. Um, They they might, however, uh, they're going to go with some winter decorations, whatever the heck a winter decoration is, but, but no Christmas themes. No Christmas themes at all. The library director um, goes to Facebook in the face of some of the criticism and says, first of all, the library is putting resources towards other activities and programs. Uh, okay, so we, we don't have enough resources to have the holiday party, but we do have enough resources to have the luau at the end of January. Okay, so first, they're putting resources towards other activities and programs. Like, okay, how... Ha- Seriously, how much time and money could it take to decorate the library for Christmas? I, I mean, really, what are you doing instead? Okay, but that's one of their objections. They were, we're putting it towards um, other activities and programs. But then you get to what I think is the crux of this down in St. Francis. She says the library's mission is, I'm quoting now, quote, to provide neutral and equal access to resources and programming in a welcoming environment. That means reducing barriers to participation whenever possible and making an effort to be socially aware and inclusive. Let me read that statement again. To provide neutral, our, the library's mission is to provide neutral and equal access to resources and programming in a welcoming environment. That means reducing barriers to participation whenever possible and making an effort to be more socially aware and inclusive. So no holiday decorations. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is nothing but a load of politically correct hooey. You mean to tell me that by putting up a Christmas tree, or maybe Santa Claus, or, you know, I, again, doesn't even have to be religious-themed. I'm not talking about necessarily a manger, for example. We're not talking about a crash. But you mean Frosty the Snowman, you mean like Santa Claus on a sleigh, you mean Rudolph, you mean a Christmas tree. That is somehow going to, oh, I love the phrase, that's going to interfere with your effort to be socially aware and inclusive. That's not going to be presenting things in a welcoming environment. I don't know about you, but I think most people, most people, even if you don't celebrate Christmas, I think most people love Holiday decorations going up. Most people love to go in and they see the bright lights on the Christmas trees and the ornaments and all the different things. I think that is where you get all sorts of stuff that is, in fact, welcoming and pleasant and enjoyable 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line now look i guess i am sympathetic if the argument was just this is a matter of resources our budgets have been cut you know we don't have the time or the personnel we don't want to spend the resources to put together a holiday party so instead we're going to have a luau at the end of january Um, or you know we we don't have enough people that are willing to come in and and, and, like decorate the uh, decorate the place okay well i mean i would be sympathetic but that's not what this is all about. The key is in the second part. We just don't think, well, if we put up those Christmas decorations, we are interfering with our effort to be socially aware and inclusive. I think this is absolutely ridiculous. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tell you what, let me take a quick break. We're going to go to the news, and we come back, we are going to discuss this. I mean, really? No Christmas decorations at the library? Come on. 134, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If the librarian in St. Francis worked in the private retail sector, she would be fired. Look at all the stores with Christmas decorations. They want an inviting environment with no barriers to spending money. Yes, in St. Francis, they're saying, okay, no no Christmas decorations at the library, no holiday party, no Christmas party. We will have a luau in late January, though. And the concern is, well, we want to reduce barriers to participation whenever possible and make an effort to be socially aware and inclusive. Like, having a Christmas tree and Christmas decorations is not socially aware and inclusive. Huh. Berkeley, I get. St. Francis? Really? Let's start with uh, Rick in St. Francis, your neck of the woods. Good afternoon.
3: Hey, hi, Jeff. How are you?
0: I am well, thank you. Okay, this is your neck of the woods. Does this make any sense to you?
3: It it makes no sense. I'm a former library director, and this is a tradition that we've had for 25 years. And, again, now one person, the library director, decided to change it. And this was a surprise to begin with. She thought of this back in January. The library board really had no knowledge of this until somebody put a uh, comment on the St. Francis blog, that's when all you-know-what hit the fan.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, we've had all the older people that I've talked to, they're totally against this. Some are more vocal than others. Uh, Alderman Tutai, Alderman Klug, they made statements at the last board meeting, or at the last uh, council meeting. Right. And uh, former directors are against it. Uh now, so let me, let me be just
0: clear here, Rick. I, my, my, my sense is that this really isn't a resources thing. Now, now, obviously, if the argument was, we just don't have the resources anymore, you know, we've lost positions or whatever, blah, blah blah we don't have the resources to put up the decorations. But I don't get the sense that that's what this is. It's the second part of her statement. She wants to be inclusive and socially aware, and she's concerned that Christmas decorations aren't inclusive and socially aware.
3: Yes. Yeah. There's a friends of the library which are very active and they supply money and resources to this holiday event. Okay. The you know, if there would have been somebody complaining, if there would have been a complaint, I might understand that, but nobody's complain <laughs> complaining. You're right, it's a politically correct statement which I'm totally against.
0: Okay, thanks for calling. Yeah, that—that's that, what this kind of struck me. And, and again, you—you you have these people with their own sort of agendas. Um, who, I mean, my phrase is always a solution looking for a problem. This strikes me as a classic example of a solution looking for a problem. But the, the bigger point, the idea that having holiday, that having Christmas decorations in, in a library is not inclusive and welcoming—that's—I—that's I, I, that's, that to me is just ridiculous. And I go back to what our texter was saying. Look at what what stores do, for goodness sakes. Stores have this up. People love Christmas decorations. All right. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We're now joined by the mayor of Saint Francis, uh, Corianne Saint Marie Carls. Mayor, good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon, Jeff.
0: Okay, you want to weigh in on this?
4: Uh hey, Merry
0: Christmas Mer- to you. Happy <laughs> holidays. Merry Christmas to you as well. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, Saint Francis is in the news more and more. <laughs> oh,
4: what are we gonna yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot going on. There's a lot of uh political, tactical people out there right now, but I, I know your topic is about
0: Right, uh, the hol- the, the library. Yep.
4: Yeah. Uh you know, I've attended I attended the board meetings. So many wonderful, passionate people of Saint Francis uh spoke up on this on this topic. Uh they were really taken back by it all. Um, I was very surprised myself and
0: um so you didn't know in advance that this was happening
4: no not at all and and the board was frankly i got the feeling uh from the board members they were put kind of in a little uncomfortable position on all of this because there were some statements made uh outside of the board environment uh kind of including them on the discussion and as a mayor i really like to kind of keep things buttoned up keep communication uh from Uh, you know, governing body official as possible, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you know, they were, the board was put in an uncomfortable position, and I've had an opportunity to meet with the board chair recently, and I said, you know, the friends, uh, of the library are stepping up and doing this holiday, uh, uh, book sale and party. They have an interest in these activities. And I'm encouraging the board to establish a liaison uh, with the friends of the library and and work on this in the future.
0: Okay, well, know? let me cut through this though, Mayor. In, in your opinion, should there be de- should there be Christmas decorations in the St. Francis Library?
4: I like Christmas decorations, Jeff.
0: Okay, I really that, do. okay, that's yeah. not what I asked you. My, I asked you yes, if you're okay. I you do, got.
4: I it. do. <laughs> I I I would like to see Christmas decorations at our library. I love the building. I knew some of the people. It's interesting that you put it that way. In my younger days, I was Miss St. Francis, and um, I have a soft spot in my heart for all those wonderful people who gave the money to build that library, Jeff. Mm -hmm. I knew some of them personally, you know, because that was already 30, 30 years ago. And I know those people that gave that money. I think they would like to see Christmas decorations.
0: And again, you as mayor, you disagree with this decision not to have the the decorations in the library.
4: I am trying, what I'm trying to do um, is, is basically get this revisited as what it started out to be. It started out to be the Friends of the Library, from what citizens have told me, very passionate citizens who have a big history here have told me it started out as a core activity of the mm-hmm. Friends of the Library. So I, I'm proposing we bring it back to the Friends, keep it in their court. They are so interested in doing it. I'm partnering with them wholeheartedly. On December 9th, we've got a party going, Jeff. Right. we got a great party going, 10 to 2, at the it, Library.
0: Mayor, let me ask you again, though. I'm, I'm, yeah. cause I want, it's, okay, it, the, the librarian um, said, I mean, her, her quotation is that um, – She's, she's in, she wants to reduce barriers to participation whenever possible and make an effort to be socially aware and inclusive, and that's part of the reason that it informed her decision not to have decorations. Is there anything about Christmas decorations that you find to be neither socially aware nor inclusive?
4: I think it's a generally accepted tradition of America, United States of America. Um, this is a tradition we carry on mm-hmm. uh, all over our United States. Right. and it's something that it's inherently part of us mm-hmm. uh to be involved in this and as i said i guess my reflection is always on those people who gave that money mm-hmm. um we we did an amazing amount of fundraising for that library 28 some years ago uh and those people were well meaning and they had their heart in saint francis and they gave that money and mm-hmm. personally i i have to speak up for them right. They may, would want these decorations, sure. yes. Yeah, may,
0: there, there's nothing wrong with going on the radio and saying the librarian's wrong. <laughs> you know, there's just not. There's not.
4: The thing is, I, Jeff, here, I was at that board meeting, and I really think that the, 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 the board um, and the chair are really committed to looking at more data on this. It was kind of we had to bring things to a head quickly, and I really think they're going to roll this thing back and look at more data and look at the programming look at their liaison and relationship with the friends, and uh, learn a lot from this.
0: Okay, well, really th-
4: are, th- yeah. th-
0: thanks for the call, Mayor. I appreciate the perspective. I th- That's great. You can roll these back. You can have liaisons. You can do this. But 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 here's the bottom line, and, and, and my, this is, again, my, my, my advice to the mayor. There's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, the, the woman that came up with this, the library director, Amy Cron, is – if if you don't want to say she's nuts, you can simply say she's wrong in this particular situation. And it, it is amazing to me. I mean, I don't think this should be a decision made by a library director. If. If the board that oversees this thinks she's wrong, they should say she thinks she's wrong. There's apparently, I mean, it is only December 4th. You can reverse a bad decision. And it sounds like there's pretty much everybody outside the library director in St. Francis who thinks this is a bad decision. Linda in Greendale. Hi, Linda. You're on WTMJ.
5: Yeah, I don't know how much more data that they need.
0: <laughs> they're Christmas crazy. decorations. Yeah, what, yeah, right.
4: This is crazy. It's ridiculous, and I think this woman is just trying to play, do a power play, and that's all it is. Uh, she's a librarian, obviously. That that just doesn't have a heart. And
0: I, well, uh, but they're going to have a luau. There's not going to be a Christmas party, but they are going to have a luau in January. I,
4: I want, I wonder how many decorations
0: they're going to have to buy for the luau. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> good <laughs> yeah, good. Right, good. Good point. I it just, you know, you, you know, Linda, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, I'm just, I, again, I, I thought originally the justification was going to be we don't have enough people or whatever, and 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 so I mean, I would have gotten that, but that's not what this is about. This is about again political correctness running amok, and it doesn't sound like anybody in Saint Francis, and elected officials, or the people. Who pay the salaries of, say, the library director think this is a good idea. So just somebody just overrule her, put the darn decorations up, and celebrate the holidays the right way.
2: Yeah, and get rid of her.
0: Well, see, I'm not. See, I'm not. This is the spirit. I'm in the spirit of Christmas. I'm not saying she should lose her job. I'm just saying this is a nutty, politically correct answer a solution that is searching desperately for a problem that's why i thought our first caller rick who's been involved in the library for 25 or 30 years he's like nobody complained this is something that this it's an issue that this lady just dreamed up and then i get the sense kind of sprung on the board but regardless that's okay Everybody makes mistakes. How we adapt is, see, the key is, do you acknowledge you've made a mistake? You, right, right, I agree with Linda. You don't need, like, a lengthy study. You don't need to take in data. You just need to put the darn decorations up. You could do it tomorrow. It's that easy. Ho, ho, ho. It's Jeff Wagner. It's 145. It's 149. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, coming up in about 10 minutes, uh, the United States Supreme Court, at long last, is going to take on the Masterpiece Cake Shop Cake case. This is the uh, Colorado ordinance that says... Essentially, the, the gay couple that wanted to have the wedding cake made, the baker who refused to do it because of his legitimately legitimate religious values. Uh, the Colorado law says, too bad, um, you are discriminating against them. Uh, the Supreme Court is going to decide whether or not the guy has a freedom of speech, a First Amendment right, to refuse to have to make a cake, which... Violates his religious principles. Um, he, he's got a really interesting op-ed piece um, in the USA Today. I'm going to share it with you, and then we are going to discuss it. Uh, story last night, and this this is a huge story on a number of reasons. It's a follow up to something we talked about late last week. Now, when when Tom Barrett. When Tom's trolley folly goes into effect, the one point X million dollar, you know, streetcar line that has the city of Milwaukee right now completely and totally torn up. And after it's done, the city's still going to be kind of torn up because you're going to have these streetcar tracks running through it. So we've got the Tom's trolley folly that I think is essentially going to be like an airbus because it's going to be transporting more air than people, especially a special, I think it's going to be not the hop, but it's going to be the flop. And um, whatever the initial numbers are, because the, for the first year, they're going to be somewhat inflated because you get to ride for free because Potawatomi's going to pick up the tab. Whatever the first year numbers are, and I don't think they're going to be very good, I, I think it's going to be really awful in years moving forward. But the bottom line is it runs from the bus slash train station. We, we have a fancy name for it now. We call it the Milwaukee Intermodal Station. What we mean is it's the bus depot and it's the train depot but we call it the intermodal station because it sounds cooler and so it it starts there and it runs somewhere to the lower east side now the truth of the matter is to the extent that you find anybody who's going to ride it what they're going to in all likelihood do is you're going to have people that are going to drive somewhere park their cars and, and then ride it so the idea being hey um, you know, we're, we're going out, uh, we, we live, uh, we, we don't live right on the trolley line, you know, so let, let's, we live on the east side, so what we'll do is we'll drive to where the trolley starts, or we live on the near south side, so we'll drive to where, by the bus depot, and we'll park there, and then we'll get on the trolley, and we'll kind of ride it around and walk, and so we'll patronize some of those bars. But the bottom line is, for, for the vast majority of users, you're going to have to drive somewhere to get onto the thing. All right. Well, here is the problem for the second time in just a couple days. One of the things that we are learning is it's not safe to leave your car at the start off point to where this trolley is going to run Um, around Thanksgiving. There were a number, and we're talking about a couple dozen cars. People parked at the train slash bus station. They parked their cars, and they came back and found the cars vandalized. Matter of fact, I think we talked to one or two people when I did this topic last week. What it looked like is somebody went through the parking lot down there and just... I assume took like a baseball bat and beat in the windows of cars. And then they went through and they rifled the cars and they stole whatever they could find. And it was a big deal. Well, it happened again. Apparently, um, Saturday night, Sunday morning, same parking lot right by the bus depot and train station. Apparently, um, as many as they haven't released an exact number, but as many as like like 30 to 40 cars Again, parked in this lot, same thing happened. Windows broken, cars rifled through. Many cars had multiple windows spa- smashed. So, I mean, you're talking about, and we're not talking, again, about one or two. We are talking about dozens of cars that were vandalized. So here's the problem. All right, you, you know, if you're going to take the bus, if you're going to take the train, or if you're going to ride the trolley, you know, you're going to need a place for most people to leave your car. Well, the reality is the crime problem in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee is so out of control again that you can't leave your car, at least right now, you can't leave your car down by the train slash bus station without concern that you're going to come back and you're going to find the windows kicked in and your car is vandalized. Now, the lot down there, it's been the same lot that this has happened to, it's the big one kind of right across the street, has a big sign saying, not responsible for damage to vehicles. Well, Okay, I guess first of all my my message would be well then you shouldn't be parking in that particular lot. I think that from a perspective of crime, I do think that the owners have some sort of responsibility for providing some degree of safety if you are going to park your car. And if they're not willing to step up and do that, you should try to find another place to park to the extent that you can. Right? That's story number one. Number two, though, I don't want to blame the owners of, of the lots. While I think that it's fine to ask them to have enhanced security, again, the underlying problem is that crime in the city of Milwaukee is once again so out of control that you have people that feel free, and they don't have anybody arrested for this, to just go car by car by car. And it has to take a little while to bust all those windows and vandalize all those different cars. And, you know, the the police response, they're not able to get there in time. I don't know if there's cameras up or not, but if so, they're obviously not catching the people because they are continuing to do it. And if we get back to the recurring theme of this program, the truth of the matter is that even if they caught the people that were doing this, going car by car by car with baseball bat or whatever and beating in the windows and robbing the cars, chances are, that the people that are doing this have lengthy criminal records and nothing significant is going to happen to them, anyways. But this is a huge issue and it's an undercovered concern. What are you going to do when this trolley kicks off? What are you going to do with crime? What are you going to do to keep when there's people are riding it for free? To keep the criminals off that? What are you going to do to make people's cars safe when they park along the trolley route or at the end or the beginning? Cuz right now we're not doing anything and you're starting to see it in these stories. It's 156 this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wacker, WTMJ. Here's a text. This vandalism is inexcusable. The intermodal station is an important and growing transportation hub of downtown, and nearby crime can't be tolerated. Mayor Barrett needs to put heat on the facility management and the parking lot operators to beef up security and make security officers highly visible 24-7, or this will severely tarnish the image of Milwaukee among downtown residents, suburbanites, and tourists using trains, buses, and soon the streetcar alike, if they justifiably perceive the surrounding area as unsafe. Yeah. I have to tell you, if I was taking the train... I'm not sure at all that I would consider leaving my car down in one of those lots now. The text continues, now is the time to deter and apprehend and somehow punish the terrorizing thugs. Yeah, well, uh, they can apprehend them, but once you get over to the DA's office in the Milwaukee County Court System, punishing the terrorizing thugs is a whole different story. All right, coming up, a department store says no to the Salvation Army, and the Masterpiece Cake Shop case goes to the Supreme Court tomorrow. It's 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Tomorrow, after five years, the Masterpiece Cake Shop case is heard by the United States Supreme Court. Let's review the bidding. Um, Colorado has a state statute that prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation. Not all states have a statute like this, Wisconsin does. But not all states do. But Colorado does as well. It says that you can't discriminate against people. Because people get this confused a lot of times. In general, we discriminate all the time. You know, you might like apple pie. I might like cherry pie. You know, we make choices all the time. And as a general rule, you can discriminate. What do you mean, Jeff? No, you you can. You, You can make decisions for any reason or no reason. You just can't do it for an illegal reason. And so there are various classes and types of, of people who are protected. You can't discriminate against somebody based on their religion. You can't discriminate about somebody based on their race. You can't discriminate against people based on their gender. You can't, as a general rule, discriminate against people based on age. And in some states, you also can't discriminate based on sexual orientation. Alright, so here's the deal. Guy's name is Jack Craig. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. The guy's name is um, he's the the baker um, and the guy that runs the masterpiece um, cake shop is a deeply religious man. And he's a guy, his name is Jack Phillips, runs this bakery. Um, and for example, he runs the bakery. Consistent to a small bakery. He runs it consistent with his religious beliefs. He closes his store on Sundays. He refuses to produce cakes with profane messages. He refuses to um, make cakes that celebrate Halloween. Hmm. Go figure. But, but that's, that, that's him. He considers himself to be a cake artist. Um, what will happen is, if you go into his store, for example, before all this happened, and you want a, a wedding cake... Well, he doesn't just mass-produce wedding cakes. He sits down, he talks to you, and he makes a wedding cake specific to what you want for your particular wedding, at least he, he used to. So what happens is, five years ago, you have this gay couple um, who, together with one of their mothers, you know, goes into this guy's shop. And they say, okay, we're having, uh, we're, we're going to have, it's going to be a same-sex marriage, we're going to have, we're going to get married, and we want you to do the cake. He says, "I'm sorry, I, I'm not going to do the cake. Um, I will sell you. You know, if if you know, if you want to, if you want to buy the brownies or the cookies, or you want to buy a cake that you know we, we have here, like a regular cake, that's fine. But but I consider myself to be a cake artist. This is my expression, and um, I believe same-sex marriage is wrong. All right, Law says you can do it. That that's great, but." Making you a specific cake, um, that to me is again it's against my moral values. You might disagree with me, but that is my position. Well, they this couple leaves. They get angry that the guy hasn't made him a cake, and it's not like it's not like they can't get wedding cakes anywhere because they they can. They have no trouble getting another one, but they believe that they have been unfairly discriminated against, and that this cake. Shop operator is violating, you know, their rights. He's violating the law. So it goes through the Colorado Equal Rights Commission, which finds no, the cake shop operator has discriminated against them based on, again, their sexual orientation, which the truth is he has. I mean, the, the truth is he has. He would have made cakes for, um, couples, you know, opposite-sex couples. But, so he is discriminating against them. There's no question about it. But he says, hey, th- this law violates my First Amendment right. Um, I can't be forced to violate my legitimate, deeply held religious beliefs based on, you know, th- this particular ordinance. Uh, it goes to a Colorado Court of Appeals. Again, the law is upheld. Now the case has been fast-tracked to the Supreme Court. The case is going to be argued tomorrow. Now, the cake maker, Jack Phillips, he's got a piece in USA Today. I want to read just a portion of it to you. Um, Here's what it says. Um, What I didn't say is that I wouldn't sell them a cake. I'm happy to sell a cake to anyone, whatever his or her sexual identity is. People should be free to make their own moral choices. I don't have to agree with them. But I am responsible for my own choices. This is the baker. And it was that responsibility that led me to decline when two gentlemen came into my shop and invited me to create a wedding cake for their same-sex ceremony. Designing a wedding cake is a very different thing from, say, baking a brownie. When people commission such a cake, they're requesting something that's designed to express something About the event and about the couple what I design is not just a tower of flour and sugar but a message tailored to a specific couple at a specific event a message telling all who see it that this event is a wedding and it is an occasion for celebration in this case I couldn't what a cake celebrating this event would communicate was a message that contradicts my deepest religious convictions and as an artist that's not something I'm able to do, so I politely declined. This wasn't just a business decision. More than anything else, it was a reflection of my commitment to my faith. My religious convictions are on this ground, on this are grounded in the biblical teaching that God designed marriage as a union of one man and one woman. Obviously, not everyone shares those convictions. I don't expect them to. Each of us makes our own choices, each of us decides how closely we will hold to defend and live out these choices the two men who came into my shop that day were living out their beliefs all i did was attempt to live out mine i respect their right to choose and hope they would respect mine they did not and considering all the hate mail obscene calls and death threats my family has received since i was sued a lot of other people don't see tolerance as a two-way street either but the constitution does the first amendment defines my right to create custom cake art that is consistent with my faith while declining requests that ask me to celebrate events or messages that conflict with my faith. As a cake artist, I can live out my faith in my day-to-day life and make that faith the basis for my creative decisions. And then he goes on to say that, you know, I think I should have a right to do this. Since this has happened over the last five years, the guy has lost 40% of his business. His employees have dropped from 10 until 4 to 4, and he no longer makes wedding cakes. He simply said, I'm, I'm not going to do wedding cakes anymore. All right, that is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. I think the baker... As long as you can demonstrate that this is a legitimate, sincere, deeply held religious position, I think he has the right to refuse to make the custom wedding cake. He is not refusing to sell people other bakery items. If he was, that would be different. But I think he has a right, again, as long as this is a legitimate, deeply held religious belief I think he should have the right to be able to refuse this business and I also see this as being different people would say to me well Jeff do you think that you know the diner owner should be able to say I'm not going to serve I have a First Amendment right not to serve black people or white people or Hispanic people and my answer would be no because that's not based on a deep-seated religious belief but there's a lot of religions that do teach uh, again that a marriage is between a man and a woman and that that's not i don't, I don't care where you f- stand on that that is a legitimate belief that a number of people have based on their religion alright seven nine nine one six twenty. you go broke trying to predict what the supreme court is going to do i'm going to make no predictions about it but i do think in this particular case the the cake operator i mean the cake maker I think he has a legitimate point. Um, does his legitimate religious beliefs get trumped by an ordinance, no pun intended, trumped by an ordinance that says, okay, you can't discriminate based on sexual orientation? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Aaron in Colorado Springs. Aaron, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Aaron.
5: I actually think he has every right not to make the cake, and I am openly gay. That, personally, I believe, you know what? By all means, don't make the cake. But me being openly gay, I have every right not to frequent a place right. that ha- holds those beliefs.
0: Right, and tell everybody and all your friends, you know, homosexual and heterosexual, this is a person who feels this way and, and doesn't respect my choices, and we should never patronize the place. You're absolutely right. You have every right to do that.
5: And I think, just like I don't go to Chick-fil-A because, oh, yeah the owner's personal beliefs, which everybody is entitled to, that by me saying I'm gay and I'm going to force somebody to make cake that goes against their beliefs, I think I'm just, yeah. I'm being those people who are very homophobic, just in a reverse way.
0: Well, and Aaron, I the thing that's also struck me about this is that, um, first of all, this couple had no trouble getting, there, there were all sorts of other people who made the cake, so it wasn't like they, they were denied their particular wedding cake. Um, if, if for i mean i got married a couple months ago and we, we actually didn't have a cake but if we had a cake and and i had i'd run into somebody who says well you know i don't i don't make cakes for heterosexual couples i wouldn't have wanted that person to make my cake anyways would, okay fine I, i'll find somebody who wants my business
5: right and i i agree with you that's I'm not going to force anybody. Besides, you can go down the street. There's other bakers. Go to somebody that actually supports your views or whatever and give them your patronage because eventually people who hold that view or whatever are either going to stay in business or they're going to go out of business.
0: Right. You you, you would say let it be a marketplace type of decision one way or the other. Yes. Good good enough. Thanks. thanks, thanks, I I, I appreciate that. And, again, here's – I mean, there are there are two legitimate competing interests. The, the one is the statute that I have no problem with at all that says that you shouldn't discriminate against people based on their sexual orientation. The flip side, though, is does that mean that because you have a statute that says that, that legitimate First Amendment deeply held beliefs, um, and in this case, I, I think that the guy does say, hey, it's not just... I, I I am an art. When you hire me to make a, a cake, that's different than just coming in and buying a loaf of bread or buying a cake or buying cookies. You are hiring me as the artist. You are hiring my skills and my religious beliefs. Tell me that what you are doing is wrong. And and again, I, I'm no. I'm not commenting on on the legitimacy of same-sex marriage. That's not it. But there are religions that teach that this is fundamentally wrong. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I think the guy, I think that there is a First Amendment issue here. Some people poo-poo it, but I think there is. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Two twenty one. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. It's two twenty three. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's talk to Helen in New Berlin. Helen, good afternoon.
6: Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, First of all, I'm very sorry that this gentleman lost business and employees over this, because what makes the gay couple's amendment rights better than the store owner's amendment rights? They both have rights, and to trump one over the other, that is grossly unfair,
0: yeah, I mean well that I mean that's I, I guess what this whole case is about. It's whether or not um do you ha if you are in business, do you have a legitimate First Amendment right based on your religious beliefs to pick and choose who you do business with? Um that that's or if I mean the other the flip side in some respects it's kind of the easier argument, I guess. It just simply says, Hey, if you're in business, you you know, you don't have a first amendment right. You have to you know you you can't discriminate against anybody, period, and I don't know that just because you're in business you give up you give up your religious beliefs
6: i I agree a hundred percent I mean I have a gay child, I have many gay friends I don't have an issue with people being gay or getting married or anything like that. But I also have my religious beliefs, and they mean a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And for somebody to tell me that I have to give them up for something that I don't believe in, I'm sorry. You're draw- you're walking on a thin line there, my friend. Well,
0: you are. Now, thanks for call. Now, I here, here's the problem. Um, that the question becomes. Uh, is, is it, he says, look, I'm a cake artist and and this, this is more than, again, I, I would, I would sell them things. I'm not saying that I wouldn't sell them brownies or cookies or bread or whatever. I'm just saying that you shouldn't have to force me to hire me to do something, to design something that that's. That's the artistry, as opposed to just "Hey, I, I bake cookies" or something like that. Um, that does open up all sorts of doors. How far does that go? Um, is what about the photographer who takes pictures? Could that person say, "No, I don't want to do this"? I mean, it's it, it it's difficult to define. You know, where where does the First Amendment come in? In this case, though, I, I think pretty much everybody agrees that you you aren't hiring him just to make a cake. You are hiring him for his creative ability to. Put together that cake. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 1620 Howard in Sherman Park. Howard, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon. First of all, mazel tov on your wedding. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I think it's, first of all, interesting that the Supreme Court took the case. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know how that did, conversation went about, because they reject so many cases, especially after the uh, denials in the lower courts.
0: Yeah, my guess is they took it because there at least there's at least a handful of them that are thinking about reversing it. But that but again, yeah, you you go broke guessing what a Supreme Court's going to do.
2: Yeah, pretty much. But I uh, my guess is they're going to side with he has a right to but I think it's a wrong decision.
0: Okay, tell me why.
2: Well, you are open to the public. You're not open to a specific part of the public, right? Uh, if you had a, a business that for example, only served, well, let's say, only served Jewish people.
4: Okay.
2: That was you know, your total business. You know, God knows why, but let's say it was. I mean, you think even Catholic knights will sell insurance to anybody probably will want
6: it. <laughs> you know,
2: but uh, you open to the public. That right. means you could probably say, look, I am an artiste. I don't believe I can make a cake to the quality that you want, because my heart won't be in it, mm-hmm. but if you want me to make a cake, I'll do my best and I'll try. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could probably say that and get away with it, but I think if you serve the public, you serve the public.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be what the, what the argument is. And, and he's hit, and maybe we're, we're talking about. Thanks to Call Howard, maybe we're talking about angels dancing in the heads of pins. His response is going to be, "Well, I do serve the public. I mean, if they." It's just I don't provide all services. Um, If they want to buy cookies, they want to buy brownie, they want to buy bread, I'm more than happy to sell them. But this is something above and beyond that. I Again, I keep saying, you go broke guessing what the Supreme Court's going to do. Obviously, the fact that they took this case means that there are at least a few justices who have concerns about the ruling. Um, this is going to be a close – this might be one of the most significant cases. Now, you know, typically, when they've had, had the same-sex cases over the course of the last couple of years, they've sided on the, the side of, again, the same-sex couples and laws supporting same-sex marriage. This this may very well be something different. The case gets argued tomorrow. You're going to hear a lot about it. I guarantee it. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 236. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Speaking of Kids to Kids Christmas, I just got the update. Last Friday... We were part of the efforts at VMP Community Healthcare. I keep calling it V M P Manor Park. You know where we were. Um, just got the update. They collected a record, over thirty five hundred toys during the broadcast. That was absolutely outstanding and we'll be back on the road again uh this Friday. Um myself and Wisconsin's afternoon news will be out in Delafield. Uh, the Albrecht Century, that's the one that Um, runs parallel to the the freeway out there. Um, We'll be there again from noon until 6 collecting toys. Um, And of course it all culminates a week from Saturday in the big event at Capco. So Kids to Kids Christmas well underway. Um, We as part of Kids to Kids Christmas have a, a partnership with the Salvation Army and the Salvation Army what they do as part of Kids to Kids Christmas is ultimately all the toys that you donate, they're collected, they're amassed at Capco and then they're taken to the Salvation Army. And what the Salvation Army does is they essentially set up um, like toy stores, really. And and what happens is people get vouchers and you can go in and you can pick up X number of toys. Again, it's a wonderful idea that makes... Um, you know, some underprivileged children, it makes their holidays a little bit happier. I'm very excited to be part of that. Um, the Salvation Army does a lot of wonderful things. You're probably most when you think about the Salvation Army, you probably most think about the the Red Kettle campaigns. You know, nowadays you go to different um, shopping malls or outside of grocery stores, and you'll see the people ringing the bells. And this is this is one of their big fundraising efforts. Everybody relates to the Salvation Army and and the Red Kettle efforts. It's uh, the story we had late last week for example about the three or four guys who distracted the bell ringer um at outside of a grocery store Pick and Save I think on 76 in Good Hope and stole the guy's red kettle and I and I've said this before there I don't want to be standing in front of St Peter and having to explain why I thought it was a good idea to steal a red kettle around Christmas time. I mean, it's just there's all sorts of things I don't necessarily want to have to defend in my life, but that's certainly not one of them because I think that's where that trap door opens up and boom, you go straight to the other place. But I'm a big fan of the Salvation Army, and of course, I'm a big fan of the, their, their fundraising efforts. All right, here's the story, and this is a little bit complex. There is a large department store chain primarily in the South. It's called Belk, B-E-L-K. I don't think I have ever been in one of these stores. They started in North Carolina, but, but again, they're, they're big in Georgia and North Carolina and Alabama, um, big in the South, 300 stores. Um, for years and years and years, they have not had a formal partnership with the Salvation Army, but they have, as a general rule, allowed Salvation Army bell ringers Onto their premises um, for the holiday season. They, they've the way they've said it is they, they've left it up to on a store by store basis. But but pretty much, you know, you go to a bulk department store and you will find a you know a bell ringer for the Salvation Army. This year, no more. They they've said no to the Salvation Army. They said no, you you can't come on to our premises now. The way this was, I think, originally presented. Was okay. Is this another thing on the war on Christmas? And here you, you know, you around the holiday season, you don't want, you know, you, you don't want the Salvation Army people and the spirit of Christmas. Is this part of the war on Christmas? Well, it's actually it's more complicated than that. What Belk says is Belk says this year, as as a company that is as a is a shopping chain, as a, as a corporation, we have decided to enter into a partnership with Habitat for Humanity. And um, this year, each store is launching what's called a Home for the Holiday campaign in partnership with Habitat for Humanity. The program will seek to collect donations from customers at the various stores in order to build a home for a family in need. Each store is assigned a specific part of the home for which they are responsible for collecting donations. So the way this is going to work is that apparently when you when you're checking out at the store, the the person who's checking you out, the cashier or whatever, is going to ask you, hey, would you like to contribute money so you know for our role in the habitat for humanity thing? So they're doing this company wide um a- in an effort to try to, you know, raise money for habitat for humanity. And what the company is saying is that okay, because we're doing this, this is our concentration um, we don't want competing charitable operations on on our premises. And we love the Salvation Army, but, you know, we, we've got our own project this Christmas. Now, the Salvation Army is saying, hey, this is going to hurt us big. We estimate that um, this is going to cost us about $1 million this holiday season alone because, I mean, these are great locations and they're very busy. Belk says, uh, sorry, we just we, we have a different we have a partner this year and we don't want to be competing in this case with ourselves for trying to raise money. All right. 414 799 1620. That is the ACUNET Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, now think about this for a second. Do you fault the department store? The department store says no to the Salvation Army, but not because they don't like the Salvation Army, because they're running their own holiday donation thing in this case they're partnered with habitat for humanity should they still let the salvation army on their premises i'll tell you where i come down on this uh but i'm curious as to what you think 414 again this isn't no we don't want people soliciting donations this is them saying well we love the salvation army but we don't want to be competing with them for donations is that unreasonable we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's Jeff Wagner, and it's 242 on WTMJ. 246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. By the way, if you want to head start on some of the things we talk about on the air, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 I send a few of those out of date. All right, when I first saw the story, the headline was, Department Store Bans Salvation Army Bell Ringers. And I thought this was another story about how, well, you know, we just... We don't want people to feel uncomfortable around the Christmas season, and we don't want the Salvation Army on. And I was prepared to kind of tee off. And then I I started looking into it, and what I find out is there's this big chain of department stores, primarily located in the South, like 300 plus stores called BILK, B E L K stores. And they've always had an, they've never had a formal agreement with the Salvation Army, but they have on a store-by-store basis, allowed bell ringers onto their premises. They said no this year, not because of a war on Christmas, but because they have their own Christmas charitable giving. They've partnered with Habitat for Humanity, and what they're doing is they're trying to you know raise money to build houses. So... They they didn't want the competition, essentially. They didn't want the Salvation Army competing with their efforts, the concern that, hey, somebody says, hey, would you like to give to our Habitat for Humanity thing? Well, no, I just put $10 in the Salvation Army kettle. So that's the basis for it. All right, are they out of line doing this? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Marty in Whitefish Bay. Marty, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I don't blame Belt for uh, for doing this. I I think it's a good idea to have, like – you know where your money's going, um, and I don't mean to sound like a scrooge, but I'm starting to feel a little bit of uh, uh, charity fatigue. I, just because every time I turn around at every store that I come to, they always ask me before I check out, "Do I want to donate, you know, a buck or five bucks right. or two bucks to some different charity?" And right. I'm about ready to, to go into a local pharmacy right now, and I can see the Red Kettle guy out there ringing his, his his thing, and I it, I mean. I, I like it that it's targeted toward one location, and the other thing is, I, I would love if Salvation Army would sell like a, a $10 or a $20 lapel pin or something and say, okay, you've given, you're good, uh, and then I don't have to give you know, a buck or <laughs> you, two every right, time I right. walk in and out of a place. That's, right, you could you could just thing. show it. No, the Here, giving think, fatigue. Yeah. No,
0: I get it. No, thanks yeah. for calling. I mean, I think people do get... I think sometimes people get overwhelmed. I have a a text here. I don't fault the department store. Since Halloween, I've been getting bombarded by charities on the phone, social media, and now even in checkout lines at stores. That's the point you were just making, Marty. I don't have the money to give to them all. I see the department store having this dilemma on a larger scale. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's... That's what this is. Now, okay, I have another text. I don't know why it has to be a competition. Some people would, could give to both. Yeah, and that's true. Some people would and could. But I think what what the business is saying is, okay, this year we are going to concentrate our efforts and resources in trying to support this particular charitable cause. And some people would and could give to both. But we're also, we're kind of competing with ourselves, and God bless the Salvation Army, but this year you know, we're we're doing this thing for Habitat for Humanity, and I I candidly, I I don't have an issue with that. I mean, I think they have a right to do that. Marion in Whitefish Bay. Marion, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
7: Good afternoon. Yes, they certainly do have a right to do that, but there's several issues I'd like to just bring up. First of all, I totally agree. I don't think it's Salvation Army rigging bells at Christmas time is iconic and everybody's used to it and you can walk by or you can donate. I think that's much less irritating than when you're ready to check out oh yeah. by the way do you want to donate at the Habitat or XYZ. Right. I think that's m- much more in your face and irritating. Secondly I would ask you to look into Belt's history. Um, I'm a long time Southerner, mm-hmm. and Belk has a very anti-religious, anti-Christmas, anti-Christian history. Okay. So I think you should really look, and I don't buy that. It's got nothing to do with it.
0: Oh, but you, think you think... Well, you, but thanks out. for the call, Mary. I mean, again, I... I, you, you you could be right now the Salvation Army and one of the stories I saw about this says that you know they're, their understanding what this was what was the phrase they used um, they said Belk told us that there was a change in Belk's social consciousness I don't know what the heck that means but, but the stated reason right now is I, I guess and, and they are in fact raising money for Habitat for Humanity so I guess I I look at the, and I think a corporation has has a right to do that. I mean, I was trying to localize it. There are a number of worthwhile organizations, for example, that um, collect food for, for people in need. You know, you've got Feeding America, you've got the Hunger Task Force. You know, you got so. I mean, I, I'm trying to think if, for example, we here at WTMJ decided to partner for a big event with Feeding um, you know, Feeding America. I I don't think that there would be anything wrong if we said, well, okay, we're not going to have Hunger Task Force. I'm just using this as an example. We're not going to have Hunger Task Force bins in the back because, you know, our partner is Feeding America and we're doing these events. And we want people, yes, it's true, people might bring in food for both, but we're, you know, we're partnered with Feeding America. And I I just use that as an example. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that type of stuff, which isn't to say that I I don't think the Salvation Army does really, really good work. And, I mean, it is unbelievable unfortunate that they're going to they say they think they're going to lose up to upwards of a million dollars um but i mean maybe the flip side of that is okay maybe they'll be able to raise over a million dollars for habitat for humanity and that would be a good thing all right before i turn the show over to melissa barkley who's going to be in the big chair today john mccure is on one of his many vacations we have this game around here where in the world is john mccure 'Cause it's one of the advantages you have when your kids work one of your kids works for an airline. You apparently get to like fly either free or for reduced price or something. So it's really kind of okay, where are you going? Where are the winds going to take you? And he's off on another one of those sort of trips. But before before I do that, there's this story and I have to admit, it's one of these head scratching things. When Foxconn passed the, the big the legislation to you know, build the Foxconn facility in Racine County with one or two exceptions, I think just one exception in Milwaukee County. It passed without the support of any Milwaukee Democrats, every Democrat, with the exception of Jason Fields, state assembly. I think every Democrat in the state Senate and in the state assembly from Milwaukee voted against it. Peter Barca from Kenosha, he voted for it. It cost him um, his his leadership role because he supported. So anyhow, you had Foxconn that passed with no Democratic support. And I admit I was saying, oh, this is kind of interesting because you have all these Republicans who, you know, have in many cases represent, for example, areas in the city of Milwaukee where you have really high uh, unemployment and things like that. And you're voting against This job-creating thing, instead of trying to say, hey, here's what we need to do, I'm going to support this, and as a condition of my support, let's try to work out travel arrangements or something. No support at all. The Democrats, with the one exception in Milwaukee County, decided to put party loyalty ahead of the interest of their constituents. So now Foxconn is being built. It's going to create these jobs. They say they're going to be open by 2019 as far as actually making stuff. So now you have a Milwaukee alderman, Bob Bauman. Bob is one of these guys who's almost always wrong. If you want to find out where you are on an issue, find out where Bob Bauman is. Go the other way, and you'll probably be right. In any event, now he's saying, well, gee, you know, we, Milwaukee, we, we, might, we might be on the verge of missing out of this job boom. So maybe what we need to do is look at trying to annex That is, expand Milwaukee County to take over part of Racine County, and then let's look at trying to build low-income housing in the part of Racine County that we annex so we can have people located there so they could work at Foxconn. Well, that's a pipe dream. None of this is going to happen. But wouldn't it have been interesting to have guys like Bob Bauman speaking out earlier when the Democrats had a chance to vote for this and decided they were going to vote no? Just saying. All right. It's two fifty five in just a couple minutes. We'll find out what Melissa Barkley has on her mind on Wisconsin's afternoon news. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. What you need to know for
3: your day with Steve. President Donald Trump's lawyer says it's impossible for the president to obstruct justice. It's a controversial opinion, but I think he could be right. I'll tell you why. Tuesday at nine thirty
1: five. Steve Scafidi on Wisconsin's radio station, WTMJ.